Hello and welcome to our episode on frustration with illness. Now before I start I would like to apologise for my voice uh, as I have a problem with the glands that are squeezing my vocal cords, hence the strange voice this week. I would also like to thank Patricia for her question this week about frustration in its own right with regards to living with health issues or health problems. So I would hope that I will give you the answers that you need to hear. Now, technically, you can see frustration or irritation without looking at anger. But as I've already covered anger in a previous podcast, I will try to relate this to illness alone. So what are the signs of frustration? Well, we know that frustration can be shown in many different ways. And there are many ways to be able to spot somebody who's frustrated. We also know from our own experience that we can become irritable and stressed. Let me give you a list of a few more normal responses, which would include losing our temper, annoying moments or tics that like uh, tapping your fingers constantly or constantly sighing or moving your body, fidgeting, giving up are giving in and leaving the situation, but not from a positive viewpoint. Feeling sad or anxious. Maybe lacking in some self-confidence. Maybe even having trouble sleeping. Fitful sleep. Maybe we might even turn to substance abuse like drugs or alcohol. Maybe even going so far as starving ourselves or having irregular eating habits or even bodily abuse. We know that long-term irritation or frustration can be very hard and stressful on the body. We also know that some of the symptoms of long-term irritation and frustration can be seen in so many different ways, in every aspect of our life and in our sleep pattern. So remember that frustration or irritation is an emotional response to stress. We all have it and we all feel it. And everybody will at some point in their life feel it. Whether that be on a short term, like if you're thinking about standing in Tesco's waiting at the cashier's desk, you know, behind two or three people and you get frustrated. My God, is this woman ever going to move? Is this line ever going to get shorter? Blah, blah, blah. But for others, frustration can be much longer, as in months, years. So what can be stressors? Each person is going to be different and they're going to have their own stress levels and their own triggers and stuff like that. But here are the top four stressors. Work. Family. Pursuing a goal that you cannot attain. Not having a solution to a problem. So it just dawned on me that I didn't give you a definition of irritation or frustration. So here we go. Irritation or frustration is the feeling of irritability or anger because of the inability to achieve something. That's the official version. So say, for example, you continue to pursue a goal, but yet you don't reach it. It's the feeling on that non-reaching is the irritation and frustration. However, by having irritation and frustration, it will also lead on to other emotions that we don't want to deal with. And that can cause an imbalance in our head and especially around our mental health. For example, it gives us a sense of a loss of confidence, more stress, more anger, aggressive behaviour, more irritability that will lead to depression. So irritation and frustration 
do not come alone. They trigger other emotions that cause us to behave in an aggressive manner. So now that we understand frustration and irritability at its basic root, what are the different types of frustration? Well, there are actually only two, internal and external. And what can be very helpful at this point is to understand the difference between the internal and external. So, for example, internal frustration or irritation means that you're frustrated with yourself or your reaction. It's basically about being unhappy with the way in which we reacted to a situation or an event. Whereas external frustration means the stressor or the thing that causes our frustration or irritation is outside of ourselves. So this can mean, for example, the likes of wasting time in a traffic jam. These are barriers to something you want to achieve. So to solve the dilemma and where the cause of the frustration or irritation stems from, examining the situation is very, very helpful. Did you know that excessive frustration or irritation can lead you to having nightmares? And this can happen if the irritation or frustration is making you feel less than you think you are or making you feel incompetent. So, for example, if your needs for fulfilment are not being met in your daily life, they can result in bad sleep or nightmares. So what is the relationship then between frustration and aggression? Well, I think people who have large amounts of irritation or frustration in their lives can also be prone to aggressive behaviour. Because if you think about it, it has to come out somewhere and it can stem or be rooted from a variety of factors, from personal issues to social issues. It can also lead to self-talk that is very negative and that will create a spiral of thinking that is not healthy, which will lead ultimately to more aggressive behaviour. And we know that negative thinking in a normal situation can affect our day-to-day life. But imagine being frustrated or irritated and having a negative thinking pattern when you're driving the car. It can lead to making aggressive decisions or choices on the road, which can and will endanger not just your life, but other people's lives. For example, you don't give a toss whether or not you drink and drive. Nobody's going to tell me what I can do or what I can't do. You choose to get behind the wheel of a car while drunk. You are not putting your own life in danger, but you're putting other people's lives in danger. You having no right to do that. You decide to speed on the road because you want to feel free. Then go ahead and feel free. But don't put my life on the line and don't put somebody else's life on the line because they don't know what you're thinking. So how do you deal with this frustration? Well, in order to deal with frustration, you have to understand where it comes from. And it's not going to go away on their own. The frustration that you feel now, you will continue to feel. And not only that, but you will add to it if you don't look at where it's coming from. And what's causing it in the first place. Now there are a few things you can do to start looking at it and try to determine the cause of that irritation or frustration. Number one, try talking to somebody about how you feel. You know that talking out loud can actually help to sort through what you're feeling instead of keeping it inside and only in your head. When we hear ourselves saying the words, sometimes it can give us a different viewpoint. Number two, something that I give to most of my clients and ask them to do is to start journaling. 
write your experiences and the feelings of those experiences because it can really help to give you perspective and gain a relief from the frustration. It can also be very useful in order for you to be able to look back over a period of time and see patterns and see how far you've come or to see patterns where you're being triggered. Number three, try finding an alternative way to getting your goal or your aim completed. Number four, why not try to recognise what you can change and what you can't in a given situation? Look at the situation. Where can we accept the situation? Where can we relieve the feelings of frustration and irritation? Especially when we know we don't have control in this situation. Number five, and here's a good one for you to know. Did you know that endorphins are produced by exercising? Did you know that endorphins can actually help you relieve stress? Now, of course, there is a sixth possibility. Find a therapist. Because if you can't sort out your frustration and your irritation or find the source, then get somebody else that you can talk to so that they might be able to give you a different perspective on it. Now, many serious health problems that we seem to develop unexpectedly can upset our life just out of the blue. And that can be from a toothache to a life-threatening illness, such as cancer or a chronic illness, like a heart attack or a debilitating injury. We can feel waves of overwhelming annoyance or irritation and frustration around other similar difficult emotions. These could be from fear and worry to despair, grief, sadness, or even just numbness. Or we can even be shocked and that we won't be able to cope. Each individual will be different in how they experience their illness. For some, a toothache is just a toothache, that something can be sorted in a couple of days. However, for other people, they may feel that this will never go away, that it's affecting their whole life. No matter what the illness, it can be markers where I feel that it's too difficult to function or even to think straight. It can lead us to a low mood or even as far as depression or anxiety. It doesn't matter what your diagnosis is or what your emotional response is. What's important is that you're not powerless. There are different ways that you can make things better for yourself. Maybe to ease the stress a little bit or the anguish of the mental thought pattern. There is a way to find the path to challenge how you think or how you feel. Now, some of the most common emotional responses to an illness might include the obvious ones. Number one is anger and frustration because we struggle to come to terms with our diagnosis and sometimes we might even ask, why me? And some people would even try to ask themselves, well, what have I done to deserve this? When it's a more debilitating or life-threatening illness, we often have to face up to our own mortality and the possibility that our illness could potentially be life-threatening or life-ending. Three, we might worry about the future of how people will cope or maybe how I pay for the treatment. What will happen to my family? How is my life going to change? Number four, it is also a grieving process because you're grieving the loss of your health and your whole life, especially if this is to do with a life-threatening illness. Number five, feeling powerless, hopelessness, or maybe even just look at the worst case scenario. Number six, and if illness is bad enough, we might even feel regret or guilt by the way we've done some things in our lives. Number seven, a sense of isolation. 
Maybe we feel cut off from our friends or loved ones who can't understand what we're going through. And this is especially around the pandemic at the moment or for those who have recovered. Number eight. Sometimes we can even lose part of ourselves. In other words, you're no longer you, but you are your condition. Now, regardless of what the degree of your illness is, how you experience it will depend on many different factors. For example, if you're a young person, you may see a toothache as not much to be bothered about. But if you're an elderly person, maybe it sets off your blood pressure. And setting off your blood pressure may cause a heart attack. Or it might be the other way around. Doesn't matter what your situation is, but what you need to know is that whatever range of emotions that you feel at that moment is a normal response to your experience. It does not mean that you're getting weak or you're going crazy or that you won't be able to meet the emotional or health challenges that lie ahead. Because your toothache might be gone in a couple of days, but maybe a blood pressure will cause more of an issue. Or maybe you've been diagnosed with cancer. Or maybe you're an elderly person who's being diagnosed with COVID. Or a young person who has an underlying health issue and diagnosed with COVID. You might have even been diagnosed with an autoimmune problem or has the potential to be a lifelong fight. The important thing to know and to remember is that there is no right or wrong way to respond to illness, regardless of what your illness is or how severe it is. So what do we do? Well, the first thing you have to do is to give yourself time to process what you've been told, to be kind to yourself. Give yourself the time to adjust to this new information and condition. So number one, allow yourself time to feel. Sometimes we get news that we don't want to hear and we think, okay, I'll just avoid it altogether. I'll avoid talking about it. I'll avoid thinking about it. We avoid our emotions. And for a very short period of time, that will help us to cope. But inevitably, we will have to accept the feelings exist, whether we're paying attention to them or not. And the problem with ignoring and avoiding the feelings will only increase the stress and might even be unhelpful and delay our recovery. How many of us get a bad cold and we keep working through it? So not alone are we passing on the cold to other people, but we're lowering our own immune system so that we can't fight it. Therefore we get sicker or it takes longer for us to get better. However, if you allow yourself to feel what you feel when you feel it, you will actually find that even the most intense or disturbing emotions will lessen and that the distress that you felt initially will start to ease and in some respects, your life will seem a little bit more normal. Number two, be patient with both yourself, your treatment, your recovery and other people. Say, for example, you've just received a diagnosis of a major health problem. Well, you know it's going to take time with tests and consultations before the medical personnel can settle on what is appropriate and best with regards to how to treat your condition. And if we can't wait or we're impatient, what will happen? Well, we'll start to get anxious. Waiting can be the hardest thing to do, but I will tell you what will make it worse if you start googling it. The unknown is very scary and sometimes when the unknown happens, we google it. And that makes us even worse because what you're actually getting is often inaccurate or scary information which will only add to the stress that you already feel. Number three, try to be open to change. Now in our heads and from a very rational point of view, if we consider having a heart attack or receiving a cancer diagnosis, 
Could you ever see it having a positive consequence? I'm here to tell you that it's possible. For example, I know some people who are diagnosed with a life-threatening condition and they have a tendency to change their perspective because it focuses them or refocuses them on what is more important, what's important in their life so that they have more meaning. Even negative emotions such as anger or guilt can have a positive effect motivating us to ensure that we connect with our treatment, our recovery, if possible, or those around us. Now, I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's podcast, and I will conclude this subject next week because there's a few tips that I'd like to give people to help them through. So until next week, stay safe, stay well, namaste.